Well, good evening, folk, once again, joining us uh, tonight for the study. A nice cold evening, and I'm sure we all tucked in with nice uh, warm blankets. Uh, but nevertheless, hopefully open Bibles and, and just a willingness to, to get stuck in, once again, looking at the book of Jonah and uh, Old Testament prophets speaking to uh, uh, on behalf of God to the northern kingdom, Israel. And uh, another uh, verse and a bit of a broader context as well that we'll uh, look at uh, tonight. So thank you for joining in and do trust that this evening would be of some value, uh, benefit, just edifying us, encouraging us, challenging us uh, as believers, and, and also just pointing us to the greatness and the majesty of God. I'd like to begin and uh, read a prayer, which is really a prayer of uh, confession, and particularly just a, a prayer written by Matthew Henry on the unprofitable nature of sin. And, and I've chosen this prayer because it does fit in with uh, certainly these opening verses of Jonah and uh, his disobedience to God. So bow your head with me. Let's pray. And uh, after reading this prayer, I'll just uh, also just pray that the Lord would have his hand upon us. Dear Father, what, what have we profited if we should gain the whole world by our sinful ways and lose our own souls? Lord, we have sinned and perverted what is right, and it, and it has profited us absolutely nothing. What fruit do we get from those actions that have shamed us? Their final end is nothing less than death. But Lord, we thank you too tonight that as we confess our sin, you do forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we thank you even as we approach the study tonight, asking that you would search our hearts and Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves and with you, understanding that you do search our hearts and that there is nothing hidden from your sight. And again, thanking you, Lord, for that great work of redemption for your forgiveness of repentant sinners who place their trust in your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do bless our time, Lord, and, and use this time again as we consider these uh, uh, words, this uh, book, this little book from uh, Jonah, uh, asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. So do turn to Jonah chapter 1, and uh, I thought I'd just read the first six verses. And the nature of, of this particular genre of literature is narrative, and so I won't just be sticking with one particular verse, although I will be focusing on, on the third verse uh, in our study and in the application of this study tonight. So Jonah chapter 1, uh, remember last week, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, their great city. And call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So just so far, a reading of God's word and trusting that the Lord would open our hearts and speak to us. And, and Lord, to that end, we do pray, uh, open our hearts, our, our minds, Lord, to your continued working in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago, and I was reminded of this just over the weekend, chatting to one of our members in the church who is an air traffic controller, uh, working at the Johannesburg or to, at the O.R. Tambo Airport. And I told him that some years ago, a friend invited me and my two sons uh, to have some time and to test our skills at the real live flight simulators at the O.R. Tambo Airport. It was a magnificent experience, probably just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and experience to sit where pilots sit, to sit in the very place where many of them accumulate uh, the required hours of, of flight uh, training and, and practice. And, and that particular evening, these simulators were available and uh, we were able to uh, try out the different aeroplanes. Uh, the, the simulator is an exact replica of the cockpit of an, of an aeroplane, a, a, a Boeing 747 or an A400 and uh, the controls are, are the same, and, and, and what you see is, is dependent on the particular airport uh, or uh, landing strip that you choose uh, to land at or take off uh, from. It really was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I think I enjoyed it. My two boys enjoyed it. It, it was a great evening. But one thing I learned that night, uh, certainly was never meant to be a pilot, and I learned that it is very easy to crash an aeroplane. It's so easy to crash an aeroplane, uh, whether that be on take takeoff or, or even on landing. I discovered I was not very successful. My sons were a lot better than me in uh, uh, trying their hand at being a pilot. Now, I raised that particular illustration just to point out uh, to you that the, the laws of aerodynamics, and that's that what, what we would have learned that night, the laws of aerodynamics and flying uh, have to be consistently applied to keep the plane in the air. So you have gravity pulling down, or it's a force uh, pulling in the downward direction to the earth, and you have this uh, law of aerodynamics as the plane flies and and. and Air is forced over the wings that creates an upward force. And when the upward force is greater than the downward force, the plane is able uh, to take off. Uh, now, if you don't get that balance right, especially the, the law of aerodynamics and, and what you do as a pilot, you will find yourself uh, crashing the plane. And that's what I discovered that night. I constantly crashed the plane. Now, I use that illustration tonight because I think there's a lesson there that we can learn. There's a principle that we can apply that when we, are, when we live our lives in relation to God, and, and specifically tonight we're going to be speaking about living our lives in relation to the will of God. What is it that God has prescribed? What is it that God desires? 
what is it that pleases God and, and avoiding that which is grieving to God or that which is displeasing uh, to God. And, and, and so just as in an airplane, when things go wrong and the law of gravity takes over, the plane crashes into the ground, there is in our lives, on the one hand, the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit that consistently must be applied and appropriated. And it's the law of the Spirit that, if you like to use the analogy, keeps us airborne as Christians. It keeps us in, 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 in flight, uh, keeping in step uh, with the Spirit and keeping in step with the will of God. But then on the other hand, there is the, the default mode of what I would call the law of the flesh. And, and, and when the law of the Spirit is not being applied, then the law of the flesh takes over, and, 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 and then at that particular minute, disaster strikes in the life of the Christian. And there's a giving in, there's a yielding to the flesh, and there's a sinning that, that takes place, and God is not pleased with that. Another analogy that I would like to just uh, get us to think about, and I've only been told this, I hope my information is correct, Correct, but a sinner is a lot like a bumblebee. You've seen the bumblebee? It's a bit bigger, much bigger than an ordinary uh, bee that we see in the garden. And, and, and I'm told that a bumblebee is not supposed to fly. Uh, the, the mechanics and just the dynamics of the build of the, the bumblebee is such that it, it should not be able to fly. Because... Gravity should be pulling it down, but it flies. And so, like for us Christians, there, there are many things that, that tend to pull us down. And, and instead of soaring in our relationship with God, instead of flying and, and really experiencing the blessing of obedience and submission to God, there are these distractions that take over and pull us down. So there's this tension, the tension between the flesh, the tension, uh, on the other hand, uh, from the spirit. And so Jonah, Jonah also faced this particular struggle, no doubt, a man like us, and, and we read of it in this particular passage. Uh, we, we do see there was a, a time in his life, uh, another occasion that we have recorded in the Bible, I did refer to this last week, where it, it does seem as if Jonah had heard the word of the Lord and, and he was obediently relaying that into uh, the community and particularly to the king that he was living under. He was given at that particular point in time the privilege of announcing great blessing for the people of God at a time when the king, and his name was Jeroboam II, ruled over the northern kingdom. And I'll, I'll read the passage again. It was from 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 24. And this is speaking of the king. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. So the context, the context generally speaking is the people are distant from God, they're far from God, they're not pleasing God, they're sinning. The king, however, verse 25, and I'll read you, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamat as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Now, do you get the point? At this particular point in time, Jonah 
is the prophet. He's listening to God and he's conveying that message, the message that God has commanded him to, to share with the king. The king in that particular instance listens and as a result the, 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 the nation uh, is blessed. So, so we can therefore say in spite of Jeroboam being a wicked king at that particular time, through Jonah, the word of God comes, and it comes as a word of mercy and grace, as Jonah, the emphasis that I'm trying to make here, Jonah in this instance obediently delivering the message that God gave to him. And so therefore the boundaries of the land were restored uh, back to what they had been under Solomon. So again, to repeat myself, at this time, Jonah, in the walk that he has with God, is not being pulled down by the law of the flesh. Instead, there is a submission and a soaring as he submits. And in our terminology and understanding the dynamics of what we're given in the New Testament, uh, walking with the Spirit. So, another time. Now we move to the beginning of chapter 1 of Jonah. Once again, we read in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So yes, God speaking to Jonah the prophet, telling him, commanding him to do something. And as we saw last week, uh, it was to go to the wicked city of, of Nineveh because the wickedness of those people had come before the Lord. And so we read that in the second verse, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. However, this time round, the default of the illustration I was trying to, to use, or the analogy I was trying to use, the law of the flesh in the life of Jonah takes over. He's defaulting to the law of the flesh. He's defaulting to the flesh. He's defaulting to his sinful nature, and he ceases, he has ceased to soar with God. And why do I say that? Because of the third verse. God has given a command but we read in the third verse, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, so you get the point. Uh, default, now no longer in obedience and submission to God. And now I want to try and draw, and I'm going to draw just two lessons, two things that God is saying through this particular passage that we can take uh, from uh, seeing uh, the life of Jonah at this particular point in time. And so my first point is simply this, is that you can't do the impossible. Jonah, Jonah could not do the impossible. Now again, uh, an illustration would be fitting. Let me uh, uh, tell you um, my cousin, I had a good uh, friend in my cousin when I was growing up. He was just one year older than me. And so we did lots of things together. We, we fished, we played, we built go-karts. And uh, one day we decided that we wanted to fly. And, and so we uh, got up onto what was my dad's workshop in our backyard. And uh, we decided to experiment with an umbrella, uh, jumping off the roof, um, hoping to fly. So we didn't fly. Uh, the umbrellas didn't work. And, and uh, not only uh, did we get hurt, but I got a hiding. 
And, and you see, we thought as young boys that we could do the impossible. We'd seen parachutes and people jumping down from airplanes in parachutes. And so in our silliness, in our stupidity, we got up on the roof, uh, jumping off the roof with an umbrella, hoping that we would be able to land softly. So we thought we could do the impossible. And, and to take that analogy across to this particular uh, uh, instance with Jonah, Jonah thought that he could do the impossible. He thought he could run away from God. And we need to think about that. We need to think about that tonight in terms of our own lives. Is it possible to run away from God? He thought he could. And so Jonah goes in the exact opposite direction to where God wanted him to go. He goes to Spain. God wanted him to go to Nineveh. Now the message of this first chapter, and uh, I'll give you a quote here, summarized with the words by author Palmer Robertson. And this is what he says of Jonah. Jonah is in flight, but God is in pursuit. It is a futile flight, and it is a persistent pursuit. Get the, get the picture? Jonah thinks he can do the impossible. Jonah thinks he can run from God. And, and yes, in a sense, Jonah did run from God. But in another sense, he did not run from God. Just taking it in a, in a broader context in terms of our understanding of who God is. The psalmist gives us some insight in Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will not will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. The point that the psalmist is trying to make is, is that we need to understand, we need to know the very nature of God is that He is everywhere present. You simply cannot escape from the presence of God. Uh, God is omnipresent. That's the technical term we use. So trying to get away from God, again, Palmer Robertson says, is, is trying to get away. It's like trying to get away from air. No matter where I go in my house, uh, I'm, I'm going to find myself uh, in a context where I can breathe air. Or, putting it another way, trying to get away from God is like refusing to drink water while you're drowning. Well, what did God do? So Jonah, Jonah attempts to do the impossible, and yet we see very clearly from the passage that God intervenes. God did something to bring the running prophet back to what he wanted him to do. Verse 4, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. See, Jonah, Jonah thought he could escape from the presence of God, that he could escape from the clutches or, or the power of God. Well, verse 4, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And then a little bit later, again, we see more intervention, action from God. Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. So, so yeah, here again, we're seeing something of the nature and, and, and the way that God works uh, amongst people in the world. God is not removed. God's not watching from a distance. Uh, God is involved. And as Jonah tries to run from God, uh, God intervenes. God is bringing him back. God is bringing him back on, on course. Well, we know that the, 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 the great wind did achieve one end. <laughs> it caused the sailors to throw him into the sea. We read that in verses 10 to 15. Uh, and then amazingly, in the orchestration and, and power of God, the fish <laughs> has, was waiting for, for Jonah to be thrown offboard, overboard, so that the fish could swallow him whole. 
And in doing so, God's particular purpose in that action, in that intervention, is to bring Jonah to his senses. And we see that in chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. We'll get to further detail of this in weeks to come. It's to cause Jonah to come to his senses that Jonah would repent, that he would repent from his disobedience, that he would repent from his wayward uh, action. Jonah had run, but he did not escape. The God from whom he ran pursued him, chased him down, and brought him back to the place of obedience. And and all of this to do, God was, was intent on him doing what he commanded him to do in preaching to the, to the Ninevites. Now, what do you just... Uh, Think about that in application. Now that, of course, is a particular situation in the unfolding of God's revelation using his servant. And we know, as I pointed out last week, Jonah uh, and, and, and the whole experience being uh, a sign uh, that Jesus also would spend three days uh, in, in the grave and be raised up on the third day. But there is other encouragement that we can draw from this passage, looking at the nature of God and particularly the way that God uh, works in the lives of those who are his children. So I'm particularly thinking about the believer here tonight. Now, of course, there's always a call to faith of those who do not believe, a call to repent and to believe in Jesus. But I'm, I'm speaking to those of you who are believers and, and see, well, what is it that we can learn from this passage? And I want to encourage you tonight and encourage you by saying that God will not let you go. There are going to be times, there are going to be moments when you feel that you are distant and that you even are intentionally want to walk away from God. And the very same thing, the pursuit of God, of Jonah, is something that unfolds in the life of the Christian. Jesus makes this point in well-known, well-quoted scripture at Central Baptist Church, John chapter 10, verse 27, speaking to the converted, speaking to those he calls sheep. My sheep, Jesus says, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. But the phrase, the next phrase is the point I'm wanting to make. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And so believe it tonight, you need to understand that once you are in the hand of, of the Father and the Son, there is no one, there is nothing that will... Uh, Abort the reality of you being a true believer. That is if you are a true believer. And, and again, we see this elsewhere in the Bible as Paul assures the Philippians. He says in chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now we admit, I certainly would want to admit tonight that there are times when, when, when I'm not where I ought to be. There are times when I drift there are times when I'm tempted to, to doubt and, and, and even tempted to, to turn my back on God. But, but, but the very nature of salvation, the, the, the miracle of being born again, that work which God begins in us, Paul is saying to us, he does not do half jobs. He starts the work, he finishes the work. Not like if you go to my workbench, you'll see some woodwork that started but incomplete. 
That's not the way God operates. When God does something, he does it completely. When God intervenes in the life of a believer and, and there is the, 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 the miracle of being born again, he will carry it on to completion. Now, Jonah, of course, is a negative example, and, and, and a negative example probably true of many of us. At times, we can be disobedient to God, and, 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 and yet it's a wonderful thing to see uh, God pursuing him. Uh, there's a positive example that I thought I would raise as well, and it's, it's, it is Jesus. Jesus is not only a positive example, he's the perfect example. He has a course set before him. Jesus was sent of the Father to accomplish a work. Uh, Jesus willingly submits to the Father's will. And we understand uh, in the unfolding of that particular plan, uh, there's the advent of Jesus' birth, uh, taking on human flesh. There's the living of his life uh, in perfection, uh, being sinless. And, and yet we know that there are struggles. And uh, two struggles in particularly in particular that come to my mind is remember the uh, after 40 days of fasting in the desert, the devil comes to tempt Jesus. But Jesus does not disobey. Jesus does not uh, act in a way that would be displeasing to his father. He sees through the schemes of the devil. And he remains steadfast and righteous and firm. We know too the, the other struggle uh, where Jesus faced uh, uh, the, the tension in the garden. Uh, remember the garden of Gethsemane? Uh, the cup that was before him. The prospect of uh, the cross. And not just the physical suffering. But the reality of God forsaking God as Luther called it. And, and, and ultimately praying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Remaining obedient through the difficulties through the temptations through the hardships getting to that place where John chapter 19 verse 30 uh, Jesus is able to say that it is finished so for Jesus yes we know the finishing line was the cross of Calvary and in obedience he dies the death of a sinner and therefore accomplishes achieves redemption or salvation and gives up his life so as to to be able to give that gift of salvation to those who repent and believe. But coming back to the point of, 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 of trying to escape from the commands of God, we have to ask ourselves, I ask myself, I ask you tonight, are you in any way trying to escape from the presence of God? Are you in any way uh, pursuing a lifestyle or a particular uh, action that is in disobedience to God. And, and this kind of passage is, is, is saying to you, if you do that, you need to know that God will pursue you, that God will convict you, and that God will bring you back. Cannot. You cannot do the impossible. Not if you're a true believer. However, and I want to move on to a second point in this uh, passage. You may not be able to do the impossible, but you can do the irresponsible. And, and, and this is now where I'm going to speak about the issue of, of disobedience. You see, my parents taught me, in fact, threatened me 
not to climb up onto the house roof or up to my dad's workshop roof. That was a rule in the house. We were not to play on the roof. And yet, I stupidly went ahead in disobedience to my parents. And so here we see the command from God to Jonah couldn't have been clearer. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. But Jonah refused to go. And, and yes, he had good reason. He justified it to himself. He did not want to preach to the Ninevites. He did not really care about the Ninevites. And, and that was just the reality. They were enemies of, 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 of his people. Uh, Jonah was concerned that the preaching would bring them to repentance. And this then would threaten the fact that they would avoid judgment. And he didn't want to see that. He didn't want them to escape the judgment of God. He wanted them wiped out, eliminated from the earth. But the real problem is yeah, Jonah at this particular time is not uh, tender-hearted toward God. He's not walking with God. He had drifted. He'd become a bit, could we say today, a little bit of a racist. He had, he had only uh, good thoughts for his own people. was not really concerned about other people. He looked down at these other nations. His heart was for Israel and no one else. And so he does the irresponsible. He runs from God and, and, and avoids the responsibility and he moves, as it were, what I would call from the favorable presence of God. What does God do? The Lord sent a great wind, verse 4, on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So stepping out of the realm of, of obedience placed him in a vulnerable territory of discipline. It was disciplined. God disciplined. And it is possible. My point is this. It is possible to disobey God and remain and, 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 and therefore be disciplined. So you can't disobey God and re remain close to God. And so therefore the disciplining hand of God. And so the challenge is it, and we need to know that it's not possible to be close to God while we're walking away from God. If we're blatantly disobedient to God, when we're living in defiance uh, to God. And so we need to avoid ungodliness. And so, folks, a short study tonight, I'm just wanting to say it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling that makes you feel and, 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 and is, is, the, is, is the, uh, the reality of being close to God. It's about obedience. It's about submission to the will of God. It's about the desire to please God. And remembering those words of Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 6 verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So the challenge to the tender-hearted, the challenge to the believer, uh, a fruit of conversion is a life of obedience. Let us learn from Jonah. Yes, there is the encouragement. You can't do the impossible, but you can do the irresponsible. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would teach us, convict us, and Lord, lead us, we pray, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Amen. And so, folks, just a final slide that I'm going to put up on the screen. There we go. There's some questions. Uh, if you'd like to take a screenshot of that. Um, I think it's important to look at Galatians 5.16 in your discussion and then following that on with some questions relating to Jonah. The issue of discipline, referring to two passages, one in Corinthians and the other one in Hebrews. And then a final question about the application uh, that we can learn from Jonah for us today. So God bless you and, and thank you for joining us tonight. I uh, really do uh, 
Appreciate that. Grateful for those who are involved.